I want to talk to you about this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I thought about, you know, to really understand the love of God, you, you need to understand the, uh, the various other loves that are mentioned in Scripture. So today, I want to preach to you for a moment on the test of love. Would you say that with me? The test of love. How many of you feel like your love has ever been tested? You know, if you raised children, your love was tested. I heard one man say, I brought you into this world, I'm going to take you out of it. <laughs> love tested. If you've been married, your love is tested. If you've been a child, your love was tested for your parents because you just couldn't figure out why they, as old as they were, could not comprehend and understand that you were right. <laughs> Let's read from 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word that it speaks life to us. We yield ourselves to you today and ask you to have your way. Help us, God, to comprehend this overwhelming and never-ending love you have. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Greek language, there are four words that are used to describe love that we're going to talk about today. And these words are demonstrated in Scripture, even though that some of these words never show up in Scripture. The first word that I want to talk to you about is storge. It's a familial love. It's the love that exists between parents and children and brothers and sisters. While the word isn't found in the Scripture, the contrary word of storge is found in Scripture. It's found in Romans 1 and 31 when it talks about without natural affection. Have you ever seen someone without natural affection? I'm talking about this familial love. I mean, it, it makes me cringe when I'm in public and I see someone that has a little child and they are screaming at that child and yelling and, and cussing. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? Then I've seen it happen when a little child is screaming and yelling at the parent. And I'm thinking, that's the only love that child has ever known. And that's not really love at all, is it? But there is a love that exists that's a familiar love that God wants us to comprehend and understand but this love that's without natural affection, that word is astorgious, and it's the opposite of what God intended. You know, I, I, I can't understand parents that hurt children and children that hurt parents. And so I realize you can't give what you've never had. 
So to be able to give that kind of love, you have had to experience that kind of love. I think about how many of you love your brothers and sisters? You got some brothers and sisters. Wave your hand if you got some and you love them. Hold your hand up if you love them. How many of you have ever loved, would have loved to have just knocked their head off? So see, here's the deal is what you have to understand is that that familial love, it doesn't mean that there's never any uh, problems or adversity or, or, or mountains that you have to overcome. It's just that those things run deeper than that. And so you get over your spats, you get over your arguments and you, you continue to love. Jesus himself demonstrates this love to us uh, in scripture when it talks about Oh, I'm sorry, this, this is found, this love, the storge love is found, it, it, though the word is not in Scripture, it is shown to us through Jairus and the love that he has for his daughter. You remember when he's coming to Jesus and he's saying, my daughter's, you know, she's about to die and, and he's just begging him to come and help her. It's seen with Mary and Martha concerning Lazarus and, and how that love, Lord, if you'd been here. And so that love that reaches out. And what did they say when they sent word to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And they, they were trying to reach out to him. And so that's a familiar love. The next love that uh, I want to talk to you about is it's, a, it's called filio. But this word derives from another word. So in, in Hebrews 13 and 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. Now, this is a friendship type of love. So think about this. Everybody say brotherly love. The love there in Scripture is the Greek word Philadelphia. How many of you have ever heard that word before? What's that city known as? the city of brotherly love and that's literally because the name itself in greek means brotherly love or kindness it's a fraternal love and so that love is a love that speaks to friendship and it's found in scripture in another place in the form of filio filio is a love expressed in the bible when talking about the warmth and affinity shared by close friends almost as if they were siblings. How many of you have ever had a friend in your life that was so close to you that it was like family to you? Wave your hand if you've ever experienced that. Very, very close. And there, there are some friends that, you, that, that sometimes you even feel closer to than a brother or a sister, not necessarily because it's because they're there and, and, and there's another relation that you experience with them. And it's a gift when you have a friend like that. Everybody say a gift from God. Jesus demonstrates this gift or this love in John 11 and 36. What's John 11 and 35 say? Jesus wept. We used to know those scriptures when we had to memorize a scripture, remember? You pick the shortest one in the Bible. Jesus wept, John 11 and 35. And so John 11 and 36, this is speaking about when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is dead. In John 11 and 35, he wept. But then in John 11 and 36, it said, then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. That love found there is filio. It's that fraternal love, a memorable way to think about filio, to, to remember this kind of love, is, is think of it as 
a, a storge love that exists between family, but this filio is like that love but exists between friends. So it's a love that draws you close and, and keeps you close, and it's a gift from God. Now, the other kind of love that is referred to in Greek is eros. Everybody say eros. Guess where we, guess what word we get in the English language from that word, eros? Erotic. So this love is talking about sensual love. People refer to it as romantic love, but it's not just romantic love. It can refer to sensual love, and it's the love that is expressed in a, a sexual relationship. Now, eros or sexual love in and of itself is not impure, but it is a gift from God to married couples. Everybody say married couples. In other words, God created sex. Everybody say amen. amen. Everybody say thank God. I always get, you know, everybody, when I start talking about sex, everybody, (laughs) if the church would have talked about sex a long time ago, maybe it wouldn't be so perverted and deluded now and have gotten twisted into things that it was never meant to be. Sex is not a dirty word. Sex is a gift that God gave to exist between married couples. Because you have to understand that when you join yourself to one another in that way, you become one. That's why we have so much confusion and disillusionment in the world is because people have sex outside of the confines of marriage. And anytime you join yourself to another one in that type of relationship, you become one with them. So you're carrying some of their DNA, their character with you, and those things have to be broken off of you. Everybody say, break it now. You have to understand that when you come to Jesus, the Bible said, whom the Son is set free is what? Free indeed. So what happened to me yesterday or what happened to me last year or all the mess I've gone through in my life is not allowed to follow me into my new life because it's a new day in him. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, everybody say all things become new. This word doesn't appear in Scripture, but in the Song of Solomon, it's what, is, it's, it's what it's referring to when it's love shared between a husband and wife. The Song of Solomon makes it clear that God intended for married couples to love each other emotionally as well as physically. I think about sometimes how, how many of you have ever felt used before? I'm talking about so it's not just a physical thing it's an emotional thing that there there ought to there, it, it creates a a bond that is very precious and unique notably out of all the love that I've talked about so far the filio the storge this eros this love is the only love that if it's practiced without restraint can become a sin. Think about it. The love that I experience with family, that can't become a sin. The love that I experience with friends can't become a sin. But this eros, when it 
begins to exist outside of the confines of marriage, it becomes a sin. And the Bible warns us about it in 1 Corinthians 6 and 18. It says, flee fornication. Everybody say fornication. Fornication are any sexual acts outside of marriage. The word fornication, actually, and so that doesn't mean that, uh, that you know, see, you can get sexually impure even inside of marriage because fornication comes from a Greek word pornea, which is where we get pornography from. And so if, you, if you're not careful, the devil will try and tra- trap you in that. And then all of a sudden now it's affecting even the relationship you have inside of marriage. And I thought about how that, you know, things have changed so much. It used to be that, guys, you would have to go looking for that. Now it comes looking for you. Commercials on television, pop-ups on the Internet, it comes after you. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy That's why it's so important that we safeguard ourselves and keep ourselves pure. Everybody say, keep it pure. Now, the last love I want to talk about is the highest level of love mentioned in the Bible. And it comes from the Greek word agape. Agape is unconditional love. Everybody say it with me, unconditional love. As a matter of fact, this form of love is everlasting and sacrificial, and it's given whether or not the giver receives anything in return. Wow. (laughs) Uh, That's powerful, isn't it? I mean, I love you, you love me, but you start messing around with me, and we got a problem. (laughs) This is unconditional love. The unique thing, as a matter of fact, this love, this agape love that we're talking about was specifically used to describe the type of love that God embodies. So in 1 John 4 and 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is agape. He's unconditional. He... The Bible says that God commended his love toward us and that Christ died for us while what? While we were yet sinners. He proves his love for us by taking that by dying for us while we're still in a mess. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, He loved you when you was in a mess. He came to deliver you from your mess. Came to get you out of your mess. I love my wife. I knocked something over in the refrigerator one day. Went all through the refrigerator. Uh, she heard me in the kitchen going, oh, no. She walked in, looked at me and said, clean it up. No, she didn't. No, she did not. She looked at me and she said, don't worry, honey, I'll clean it. I, I, just thinking about it makes me want to hug her again. I love you. It just, it just something about the fact that, that I'm the one that created the mess. I'm the one that made the mess. It was my fault that it happened. And yet here she comes and says, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what God so loved the world that he gave. Do you understand? He saw us in our mess. Jesus surrendered his life to clean up our mess. That's unconditional love. 
Wow. As a matter of fact, you can't even experience this kind of love. You don't have the capacity to give it unless God funnels it through you. Everybody say, conduit. Any of you ever siphon gas? Wave your hand if you've ever siphoned gas before. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the stuff now that they got that's battery operated that you stick in there and you push a button. And I'm talking about when you used to have to wrap your lips around that rubber hose. Start sucking on that hose and then you're, you know, and then, then you're trying to time it right. Oh! And you get it, you, you become a conduit. You're, you're putting something at the end of that hose that is lifeless without you, that has no ability to draw anything through it, but because of your breath that you have reversed, you're not breathing out. Now you're sucking in. Oh, thank God for the day that Jesus sucked me in. Thank God for the day that he wrapped his arms around me and began to breathe, not just breathe out, but suck in. Bring me into the kingdom. And I'm telling you, I promise you, there's some stuff that was flowing through that hose that would make you want to spit. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Wow. Wow. Everybody say, that's agape. As a matter of fact, if you think, check this out, 1 John 4 and 20. If someone says, I love God, and hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. I love the NLT. It just puts it out. You liar. <laughs> oh, that's, you, you hear it in politics today. Oh, that's, I, I misspoke. No, you lied. <laughs> Call it what it is. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. <laughs> If we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? Do you remember, well, maybe you were never around it, but I was around what I called plastic religion. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe, and I, I hope you don't, because if you don't, you've been spared. But I, I know what it was like to walk into services before and, and have something like this. Praise the Lord, dear sister. Love you in the Lord. <laughs> you knew they were lying. <laughs> They've been talking about you all week long. <laughs> love you too, brother. I'd love to take your neck. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just understand this agape, this that flows from God. We can't experience it without God. I want you to rest assured that at some point in our lives, there are going to be times when love is put to the test. And you may have already had it, but let me share a story with you about a minister. He existed in 
around th th this time frame that happened was between 260, 270 A.D. Claudius the Cruel is ruler in Rome. He is known for his bloody campaigns that have not been popular with anyone. Men do not want to join his ranks. They don't want to join his army. And, and he, he's, he becomes concerned about it and he's determined that these men will serve in his army. And he figures that the reason that they're not serving is because of their wives and family. So he outlaws marriage. Wow. Made it against the law for people to be married. But there was one young minister that understood something about love. And so he put the law to the test. You can't outlaw love. And in spite of Claudius's decree, he went around in secret and married these young couples. And finally, he was discovered and arrested. They beat him with clubs and they cut his head off, beheaded him. But before they did, he'd sat in prison and he became friends with the jailer's daughter. And the jailer's daughter, he, he began to share with her about the love of God. And she finds relationship with God. And right before his execution, he had penned a letter of friendship to her. And he told her that of his love for her and that he signed it, your companion, Valentine. He was executed on February 14th, 270 AD. And that's where we get Valentine's Day from today. Because the test of love sometimes will cost you. The scripture says that greater love hath no man than he laid down his life for a friend. That's exactly what he did. Agape love is a powerful force. There was no reason for Valentine to do that. It was an unconditional love, an unconditional commitment to these young people because he understood about the love of God. And so this agape is powerful. Everybody say powerful. Let's take a look at how powerful this is in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I want to go verse by verse. And I want you to stay with me here because when it speaks of love, it's agape. It's unconditional love in this chapter. Every time you see love, it's referring to agape here. He says, so though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. If you don't love people, you're just an empty gong. 
It's just empty. You can say all the right words, be doing all the right things, but there's something about those words that just ring hollow when you don't love. He, watch what Paul goes on to say. Paul says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Everybody say it with me, nothing. We may think we're spiritual giants, but if I can't love you in God's eyes, I am nothing. I, if I don't care, oh, you may say, well, I love God. No, you don't, man. Not if you don't love your neighbor. Don't feed me that line. It doesn't work that way. The Bible said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you they love you? They, they talk that story that guy wrote a note to his girlfriend said, honey, I love you. He said, I'd do anything for you. I'd climb the highest mountain for you. I'd cross a hot burning desert for you. I'd swim the deepest ocean for you. And I'll see you Saturday night if it don't rain. <laughs> Something just don't sound right about that. Something's kind of ringing hollow in those words. This Agape love is so powerful that it's exalted above faith. It's exalted above prophecy. It's exalted above every spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, if you read 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, that chapter goes through and it talks about spiritual gifts. But at the end of that chapter, it ends that chapter by saying, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. What's he saying? He's saying, man, I want you to have the gifts and I want to operate in your life, but I need to tell you that there's a more perfect way, and that's the way of love. That's the way of God's love, agape. When you get that in your life, you may not be a, you may not have spiritual gifts operating but do you understand you've got love operating and if you've got love operating it'll break every chain knock down every stronghold pull down every wall what's and though i bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though i give my body to be burned but have not love it profits me nothing this is what agape does verse four agape suffers long and is kind it does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Have you ever seen, that, what is it? Man, there's some chicken. Where's Jackie at? There, there's some chicken. You ever seen that chicken? There's some birds that puff themselves up. You ever see a tom turkey? <laughs> And that's the way it attracts. <laughs> I, I can't help but think that some of those hens are saying, he's nothing but a blowhard, man. <laughs> it doesn't puff itself up. Everybody say, it's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. <laughs> well, let's just act like that one's not there. Does not behave rudely. Rudely, turn around and look at your neighbor and say, don't be rude. <laughs> does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Well, I wanted this for breakfast. 
God help us if your wife fixes you breakfast and you complain about what she fixed. Next time she serves you breakfast, you're going to be eating ground up fingernails (laughs) and never even know it. That's like sending your food back in a restaurant. You better not make the cook mad. (laughs) Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Never, never, never. Love, you say it with me. Love never fails. Do you get that? Do you understand? See, my wife needs to know that before anybody's going to get to her, they're going to have to come through me. And that's never going to fail. And I'll tell you right now, folks, you touch my wife, I'm coming after you. All 200 and none of your business pounds of me (laughs) is coming after you. Why? Because love never fails. You say, oh, that, that can't be the love of God, isn't it? The devil had us bound up. He had us tortured. We were without hope. We were without help. But God looked down at us and he said they're never going to get themselves out of this. And so he takes on flesh. Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. And he steps into our world and says, devil, they may not be able to take you on, but make my day. You're not going to take my love. You're not going to steal them from me. Jesus testifies at the end of his life. He said, you've given them to me and I have not lost one of them. He's big enough, bad enough, rough enough, and got stuff enough to take care of you. Love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they'll fail. Where there are tongues, they'll cease. Where there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. For now we know in part. Would you say this with me? I don't know it all. And it's a great blessing when you know you don't know it all. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. When I became a man... I put away childish things. You ever get in an argument with someone? And about midway through that argument, you're trying to remember what you're arguing about. <laughs> but see, now it doesn't matter what the argument was about because now it's about winning. <laughs> I have God as my witness. I'm really transparent, folks. And probably to my own detriment sometimes, but there have been times that Debbie and I have had a little tiff. Everybody say tiff. We don't really have arguments. We just have tiffs. (laughs) And she'd say something that would really get to me. And I'd think of a real zinger. I mean, something that a pow. And the Holy Spirit inside of me we say, don't say that. You know better than to say that. 
so why did I say it? Because <laughs> you stupid. <laughs> you, God's trying to tell you something to help you out. He's trying to give you some agape up in there. And we too dumb to figure it out. Everybody say it. I was going to say, say, I'm really dumb, God. And they're down on the front row saying, he's dumb. He's dumb. He's really dumb. I love you anyway. Agape to you. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? So we, we, we could save ourselves so much heartache if we could learn to listen to the language of love. And that's the language that God speaks to us. Come on, run up here, Ray. Would you run up here? Ray. Everybody loves Ray everywhere he goes. Ray, Ray, come on up here. Ray, Ray has been with me, you know, in, in Jamaica. He's been with me in Russia, in Trinidad. And, you know, and, and Ray is such a soft-spoken guy. He's a lot like I am. <laughs> see, everybody sees Ray, and Ray's real tender and all that. And they see me, and I don't know what it is about me that makes people... <laughs> I've learned something. You have to be true to who you are. And so there's a boldness that is in me for a reason. And there's a love. And there's a love in me. Just because you're bold doesn't mean you don't love. But there's a tenderness and a love in Ray. And for years, Ray dealt with a group of people that were ostracized from society, that were pushed out. I remember when I came and, and asked him to go to Russia with me because this was, you know, Russia was considered white Africa. There was so much, so much AIDS going on there, but it was hidden. Nobody would talk about it, and they'd push these people out and hide them. And when I began to hear Ray talk about it, it melted something in me. And it helped me to love them in a way I couldn't before because I didn't understand. Would you give him a hand? Thank you. So what God does is he makes you unique for what he's called you to. And then he puts, he seals you in his love. Everybody say, in his love. And that love changes us. It talks about now we see in a mirror dimly. Have you ever tried to put makeup on? Not guys. But have any of you ladies tried to put makeup on in a dark car going down the road? Teffy, I just thought of this. Oh, this is a good one. This <laughs> We're in a car in the back seat. We're traveling in Hot Springs, and Debbie gets out what she thought was her lip liner. It turned out to be her eyeliner. <laughs> she, we go in, I hadn't even picked it up yet, man. We go into this restaurant, and she has outlined her lips in a deep black. She's walking around, people are looking at her. Then finally, the friends that we're with looked at her at Lane, sat down and looked across the table and said, Oh, Debbie. 
Oh, Debbie, what? What is it? Debbie's in there, man, trying to get that stuff off her lips. She, oh, my goodness, what have I done? It's what happens when you're trying to do stuff in the dark. Everything in the dark is going to be brought to light. <laughs> so now we see in a mirror dimly. We're trying to take care of ourselves when we can't really see ourselves. And he's the light of the world. When you step into his presence, he'll light you. I've had this happen on many occasions where I stepped into his presence and he illuminated my surroundings in such a way that I saw myself and despised me. And I said, God, Forgive me. I didn't see that in me before. And isn't that what we want? Scripture tells us we're being changed from glory to glory. Too many of us want everybody to think we walk on water. The only time I've ever walked on water was when Jesus invited me out of the boat. And I kept my eyes on him. The moment you take your eyes off of him, your circumstances will suck you down. Everybody say, I got to keep my eyes on him. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abideth faith. Wow. Faith. If you've got faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be thou removed and be cast into a sea. That kind of faith. Hope. The kind of hope that doesn't make us shamed. The kind of hope that causes you to rise up out of your dysfunction. The kind of hope that's powerful hope. Now abide of faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Everybody say love. There are times when your love will be put to the test. There's a story told of a young man who fell for a girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he didn't. The young man's name was John Blanchard. The unusual relationship started in a library in Florida. He had gone and he had found a book he checked out and his heart was captivated, not by the words in the book, but by the notes that had been penciled in in the margin. As he read those notes, it, that soft handwriting revealed a very deep heart and a mind that thought in ways that captivated him. He was smitten. He flipped to the front of the book and he found out that the individual that had donated that book, and these books traveled from library to library, her name was Hollis Maynell, Miss Hollis Maynell. In the next several weeks, he searched and, 
and dug into trying to find this Hollis Maynell. And after, after a lot of effort, he found out that she lived in New York City, got her address and wrote her, explained to her how her words had touched him and invited her to correspond with him. The next day, he was shipped off to Europe where World War II had begun. But letters began to follow him. For the next 13 months, those letters went back and forth, and he began to find himself falling in love with someone he'd never seen. He begged her to send a picture, and she refused. She said, if what you feel is real then it shouldn't matter how I look, which would scare most fellas to death. But it didn't scare him. She asked no picture from him, wanted none. And their relationship continued through letters. Finally, at the end of 13 months when he was released, they set the day for them to meet. New York City, 7 p.m. at Grand Central Station. John was a little nervous as he began to straighten out his military uniform and he held the blue covered book that would identify him. And she said, you'll know me by a red rose that I wear in my lapel. And so he leaned and he looked forward and he searched Grand Central Station looking for the heart he loved and the face he didn't know. And then suddenly, a young lady started toward him. She had on a mint green outfit, and she seemed so perky in her step, it just seemed like that it, spring had come alive. And her eyes were as blue as the sky, and her smile was captivating, and Without even realizing, he stepped toward her. And as they started toward each other, just before they met, he realized there was no rose. And as they started to pass, she looked at him and she grinned that cute smile she had. And she said, you're going my way, sailor. And she kept walking. And he, he started to turn and go, but just... As she passed, he spotted Miss Hollis Maynell, a woman in her 40s, plump. Well, as a matter of fact, he said a little more than plump. Her feet were shoved down in flat shoes, her clothes baggy, her hair tucked in a bun. And for a split second, he started to turn and follow the young lady. But it was just for a split second. And he knew that though this relationship might never develop into a romantic love, he had to meet the woman that had captured his heart with her words and that had helped him navigate a war. He straightened himself, stepped toward her, held out the book that would identify him, saluted, and said, I'm John Blanchard. 
would you go to dinner with me? She looked at him and smiled and said, young man, I really don't know what this is all about, but that young lady that passed here in that mint green outfit begged me to put this rose on and said that if you invited me to dinner to let you know that she's waiting for you in the restaurant across the street. <laughs> love. The test of love. We think we know it. We think we understand it. We think we've got it down. And in truth, we're looking through a glass darkly, trying to see ourselves in a mirror that's dimly lit. But God illuminates our life with this agape love that he speaks of. There were a group of other men that were tested. They had watched him die. He was beaten beyond recognition. His face, Isaiah recorded, was marred more than any man. This man that had worked miracles for others needed a miracle himself, but none came. And so they were disillusioned and bewildered. They watched them take that limp, ragged body off of a cross and place it in a tomb. And on top of that, three days later, some women came to them and said, He's gone. We've been to the tomb and his body isn't there. And there were these two men that were shining in countenance. And they told us he's alive. They walked and as they walked talking about it among themselves, a stranger joined them. He heard them talking. He said, what is this you speak of? And they said, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened here these last few days? Don't, don't you know about Jesus of Nazareth? And we had hoped that he would be the Messiah, the one that would deliver us. And as they began to express their heartache and heartbreak, as they shared with the stranger, he continued walking with them. And when they ended their discussion, he picked up with them and he took Scripture. And one Scripture after another, he began to expound and explain to them that all the things that they had seen taking place had to happen according to the word of God to this one they called the Christ. They finally reached their destination. The stranger went on his journey and they called to him and said, no, no, please stay with us. Stay the night with us. This day's well spent. Just stay with us. And so he went in and they fixed bread and he took the bread and he broke it. He blessed it. And when he handed it to them and they ate it, their eyes were opened and they discovered the stranger was Jesus himself. And as they began to look at him and all of a sudden their hearts rejoiced, they no more began to rejoice and he disappeared from their presence once again. And they looked at each other. And when they looked at each other, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the roof and while he opened scriptures to us? Our hearts burn. There's something about his presence there's something about his love that grips us. It's a book Max Lucado wrote called In the Grip of Grace. 
when you feel that love apprehend your heart, you're undone by its presence. He referred to himself as the Rose of Sharon. For everyone that's ever been broken hearted, for everyone that's been loved and left or disillusioned and disappointed, hope shattered and dreams gone, he calls to us. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm telling you that he is reaching for us. Today is a day that we celebrate love. Today is a day that we spend all kinds of money for flowers and chocolates and cards to try and capture for a moment and let somebody know that we love them. But that is so shallow. And it's, do, do you understand that if this love only lasts for a day, then it's not love at all. But the love that he's given us is a love that never forsakes us. It never leaves us. It sees us through our darkest valley and it climbs the highest mountain with us. He does not walk away when we're in a low spot and show up when we're smiling again. But he wraps his arms around us and carries us to the mountaintop so that from there we we can see life as he intended for us to see. He, ladies and gentlemen, was and always will be our first Valentine. Would you stand with me today? I want you to understand something. I want you to recognize something, that when you were still in the midst of your mess, a rose was picked for you. He that knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus, the express image of the invisible God plucked from heaven's portals, descended to earth to let you know you're loved. You're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. But you are loved. When you felt used and abused, he wept. How do you know? Because he'd done it before. But he determined that you would not live your life that way. He loved you so much that he would rather die for you than live without you his love I wonder today if you would just stretch your hands to heaven and open your heart and invite him in right where you're at I'm not talking about storage a feeling of family I'm not talking about filio a feeling of friendship and I'm not talking about eros a feeling of love, desire. 
talking about agape, the purest form of love that the earth has ever known. God kissed us with an unconditional love. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we come to you offering you our brokenness, laying down our garment of heaviness, the spirit we carry that's heavy and receiving a garment of praise. We say yes to you. Yes, we love you. With no shame, but with great adoration, we love you. Thank you for loving us, for loving us when we didn't love ourselves, for caring when no one else did. And I pray this day especially that somehow by your spirit, that God, you'll confirm to each and every heart that you've always been our Valentine, that you have, your heart has always been knit to us and you will never walk away. We give you praise for this today. We receive it according to your word and your promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give him a big hand clap of praise today? Now, in a moment, we're going to have you come. If you've got a special need, we're going to ask you to come, and prayer team's going to come and stand, and we're going to pray with you. But I don't want you to leave here today without knowing your love. And so today, I'm asking every lady present to come and take a rose and remember that there was a rose that was plucked from God's garden for you, the sweet rose of Sharon. Put it someplace where you'll see it. Say, well, the road will pass in time. Press it between the pages of your Bible so that you're reminded that the tomb is empty. He's alive and well, and the fragrance of his love abides in our hearts. Amen. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise in this house. Ladies, would you come? If you have a need, would you come? And we want to pray for you right now. Come and get your rose. Ray and Michelle are here to pray with you. Carry it close to your heart.
as she passes out these roses, would you just stretch your hands to heaven with me right now? I want to pray a blessing over you. May the Lord smile upon you and cause you to understand that you're the head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath, and that you, my friend, are who he created you to be, and that you're going to walk loved and blessed every day of your life in Jesus' name. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house.